Welcome to Launched. I'm Charlie Chapman, and today I'm excited to bring you the prolific indie iOS developer, Ish Shabazz. Ish, welcome to the show. Hello. How are you doing? I am doing really good. How about you? Doing pretty good for 2020. Always yeah. like preface it with that. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a low bar, but you've cleared it. <laughs> for normal time, I'm horrible, but for 2020, it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I so uh, listeners of the show for a long time, or I guess from the very beginning, will know that uh, I had uh, Heidi Helen Polipas on as my very first guest, and that put me in sort of a weird position because uh, we talked about your your recent apps uh on her show right and you have been on my list as a person that i just wanted to find an excuse to to talk to and hang out with for uh for a while here and it was kind of weird and so finally uh the last couple episodes i've done we sort of ended up doing more of a like the launch of a person's career so to speak Mm. and uh i felt like those were just really interesting and i i liked hearing people's stories about how they got there just as much as the story of the the specific app itself. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> Who cares if it doesn't perfectly fit in with my <laughs> model? Uh, I think I can finally uh, bring Ish on and at least get force him to uh, hang out with me for an hour and, and get to talk to a person who's who's been influential for me uh, as I joined this world. Thanks. That's awesome. So I guess let's just start from, from the beginning. Uh, I've actually, I've listened to a couple uh, talks you've given where you sort of gave your introduction into the computing world and i sure it's a really powerful story to me so i just want to let you like talk about okay. how you even got into this so i mean starting from where you grew up from the very beginning very beginning so i grew up in um what is now called south la um in the 1980s which is, was a notoriously kind of rough and impoverished area and um I basically, it was like a, a miserable time, both at home and, and, and at school. And one day, my teacher, Mrs. Me, came up to me and asked me if I could learn about anything in the world, what would that be? And um, I told her, I want to learn about computers, which is really weird because this is like 1986. And at that point in time, I'm eight years old, but even adults like really didn't know much about computers. How, how did you know about computers? Um, so... It, it's really weird. It's a, a random thing. I used to like, oddly, I used to walk around the neighborhood a lot, which looking back, I'm like, what the heck am I doing? <laughs> um, and there was like this, um, this store that sold, uh, like Casio keyboards. I could do all this like fun stuff, like play more than just like piano tones. I could play like trumpets and flutes and all these other instruments. Oh, okay. Uh, like piano keyboards. Yeah. And, um, I was told, oh, it's computers. I'm like, oh, that sounds like really cool. I kind of want to learn more about like, what goes into into doing that so to be honest i really didn't know that much about computers only that computers could do this like cool stuff and i knew that computers were related to like video games a little bit by the time but weren't really like that many video games even but it just right. seemed like like a neat thing like oh okay computers i want to know more about that um so what she ended up doing and we didn't like speak any more about it for for quite a while. But in, in that meantime, um, she ended up going to a class at the local community college, LACC, and she um, took a class on like like computer fundam- fundamentals, basically like um, just you know how to boot it up and you know how to do simple things like that. And she bought a computer with her own money and brought it into the classroom to teach me how to use computers. And that was just a, um, a real transformative uh, moment in my life. Um, because pretty much since that point, I spent my time doing like something computer related. So in the, um, in the late eighties, early nineties, I was spending eight hours a day on a computer. And this is before there's the internet. Right. So looking yeah. back, like, what, was, what was I doing? <laughs> what the heck was I doing? But I was like spending like all my time just trying to like figure these things out. So um, that's kind of how I started. I ended up going to a really weird story where I ended up starting college at like 14 and, and all this such. But when I, I graduated, um, I graduated with a degree in computer science. And then 
nothing was super exciting to me in the computing world at that moment. This was in 2000. Okay. So this was like a little bit before text messaging came out. And I decided I want to try something else. <clears throat> so I actually took a break from doing um, programming and such for a decade. The next time I looked into programming at all was 10 years later in 2010 when the iPad came out. Wow. Steve Jobs stepped on stage, showed the iPad, and I was trying to talk myself into buying it. Um, <laughs> just like I do, like, like justifying the purchase, like I do yep, with exactly. all Apple things. I'm like... <laughs> I have three HomePods, but I probably need a HomePod mini, right? I mean... For testing yeah. reasons. So, Who knows exactly. what users have that? Testing alone, <laughs> right? And I was like, well, you know what? If, if there's like a, a daily planner app on the um, on the iPad, because at the time I was really into like Franklin Covey planners and things. I'm like, if it had that, like that alone would just like uh, improve my life so much, I'd have to get it. Uh, it did not come with one, but I was like, you know what? Okay, plan B. I can build one, Right. I have a little bit of uh, CS background. Now, granted, the, the program I was doing before didn't even have a graphical user interface at all. It was all just like text-based. I'm like, ah, I could, I could learn it though. Like this would be like a fun thing to learn. So that, that, that was my entrance into um, into iOS um, back in 2010. That's so wild. Like, so a 10 yeah. year break from, from programming. 10 year break. Yeah. And you could, you could jump back into it because I, I know not at me, all, it, not at all. I had to start completely over. I forgot everything. Well, but that's what I, but that's what I mean. Like it, it gives me so much anxiety uh, to think like if I let up for a second, I'm just going to get so far behind that I'll never be able to catch up. If that makes sense. And um, I'm sure it was a lot of work, but it's at least possible. Yeah. Here's the thing about that. There are folks who were just born today who one day learn it and you have years of experience ahead of them. So you have all this stuff that you know that they don't. Um, <laughs> like what it sounds like to fill a glass of water. Like there's just very basic things that you already like, like know. So you can always kind of jump back in and learn new things. Yeah. Well, and there's like these sort of foundational concepts too that mm -hmm. once they click in your brain, uh, they just sort of sit there. Like I, there's somebody I know who's, who's starting to learn uh, programming right now. And... Mm -hmm. Like she doesn't have any programming experience, but she knows Excel. Yeah. And it's really interesting how like just having these sort of building blocks uh, for, you know, w like putting v values into some sort of block and that sits yeah. there and then it can serve something else up and data flows through these things this way. Just having that building block is so much like that was a huge thing to learn initially. But once you have it for sure, you have this like yeah. stepping stone that moves you forward. So, yeah, that's a good point. So one of the great disadvantages of me learning so early, I basically taught myself how to program. And I taught myself how to program using basic, not visual basic, 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 <laughs> uh, where you had to put in like the, the line number. Forget something. Oh, like, oh, yeah, yeah. The line number before in like go to statements, right? That, I started on TI, uh, TI basic on, ah, <laughs> on our yeah. uh, little calculators. So right. I sort of have some experience with that. Yeah. And that's, that's a whole different world. So the thinking involved in like architecting like an app versus that is totally different in that you need to think kind of like top down as how things relate versus just working purely in like the guts of a function kind of right so um yeah it was it was interesting there's those parts too sometimes you can learn something and then the world just changes so much you're like all right i'm just gonna scrap that other thing <laughs> I, I learned unlearning is almost the harder part start over right so say you like you got super good with um auto layout and then you start using swift ui which does not use auto layout so you're like all right i need to think about how i approach this a little bit differently now well and this is uh this is the thing i i've heard lots of people talking about this recently and it it seems to be happening now live in front of me which is mm -hmm. when when swift came out there was something brand new and while like all of your you know UI kit objective C experience obviously would help you be better at writing swift iOS applications. It created this like initial point where somebody could come in brand new mm -hmm. and they could be pretty close to as good as somebody who's been doing iOS development for a long time in at least swift because right. We are all learning it from scratch and like yep. it creates, there's all these people that started with swift. And I remember when swift UI was announced, everybody kept comparing it to that. And I feel like in the year and a half or whatever that it's been out, I feel like I, I've seen that bear out, which is there's this slew of people who 
they just jumped on right with Swift UI mm-hmm. and they know it way better than I, a person who had six months of experience with iOS development <laughs> before that came out. Uh, but, you know, even people who've been doing right. it for a while, they knew Swift UI better than a lot of us do. And right. it gives you this sort of nice, uh, I, I don't want to say competitive advantage, but like, you know, you feel like you can be contributive early on uh compared to something that's super mature whenever you jump in everybody else has all this experience before you was the ipad sort of similar like because you sort of jumped into the world as the ipad came out so i jumped into the world the ipad came out but it was so similar that when i jumped in it wasn't called ios it was called iphone os yeah and then there's this like switch of like okay so now let's kind of like split this up a little bit and make ios and then there's an ipad that was a separate thing than the iphone so you didn't have like the unified app you'd have an iphone app and then an iPad app. And then, yeah, it was, it was interesting. So you have like two different storyboards. There's the iPhone storyboard and then the iPad storyboard that were not united in the same. Mm. It, it's interesting how things have kind of um, evolved like that and, and, and changed. So when I first started doing um, app development, Interface Builder was a separate app from Xcode. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I didn't realize it was that recent. I knew it was like that, like in the 2000s, but. Yeah. Um, so early on, it was it was it was a separate app. So there's been a, a lot of um, little things like that, which it one of the things I really enjoy about the iOS community. It's still pretty small, even though there's like tons of folks. It's still pretty small. It's small enough that if you decide you want to be an expert in pretty in pretty much any area of iOS development, you can be that person. Just focus on that. Write blog posts on that. Chat about that you can be that person and you can do it almost at any time because every year we get, we get new things. Yeah. For example, yeah. this year, like who's the go-to person for app clips? I don't know, but someone could be like, there's a broad enough field out there that someone can pick up a new technology every year and just run with it and then be that expert, even though you just entered the community. Yeah. That's a good point. I, I think that's unique and cool. Yeah, there was a small degree of that. I mean, it was very short-lived, but uh, I was one of the, like, earlier people to really dig into the new widgets. Like, Absolutely, yeah. And, again, everybody's way ahead of me now on that. But for this brief period of time, right after it came out, I just happened to be set up where I could easily implement it, and I had one of the first, like, test flight versions out there. And so it was funny because it's like, oh, my gosh, like, I feel like yeah. a legitimate person in this <laughs> in this world uh, <laughs> because people are asking me questions and I actually have answers for them. Uh, and, yeah, that was really cool. Mm-hmm. And if you're superhuman like Paul Hudson, then <laughs> like, the day after Swift UI is announced, you can write a book and immediately you are the expert. Yeah. Highlight of my career is Paul Hudson asking me one question about uh, uh, a thing I may have run into on widgets. And I'm like am I like a peer in this moment? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's really cool that you can just kind of um, just kind of focus on a thing and then really, yeah, you can, you can become the expert in it. So, so you decided uh, you wanted an excuse to buy an iPad. And so, mm-hmm. <laughs> so you got yep. one, it didn't have the app that you wanted. And so y- that was when you decided I'm going to try and try and build this thing that I'm wanting personally. <laughs> It is. And then I quickly realized, wow, this is way over my head for a couple of reasons. <laughs> One, I haven't touched code in 10 years. Two, the frameworks, while there's some stuff there, it wasn't really ready to do what I wanted to do. So what I did instead was I made a um, PDF reader because shockingly, the iPad, this gigantic screen at the time, um, had no PDF reader. And I thought, what a waste of gigantic screen. So um, my very first app was a PDF reader, which I wrote in a couple days because it was like a very simple, simple app. And I think it got approved maybe less than a week later. And I was up on the store and got my first couple sales and I was over the moon. I think the first day I got like two downloads. I'm like, yay, two two downloads, which was interesting because over time, in, in the beginning, I just figured that whoever downloaded my app is just like a friend of mine. Yes. Right? Oh, yeah. This is just someone who I know. And like, it was, it's, like, it's probably like my mom and like some of her friends or whatever. I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll take it. It's good. What's interesting is kind of as you grow, suddenly you start hitting numbers where you're like, okay, I actually do not know this many people. <laughs> so maybe 
maybe it's more than that. Maybe folks actually like what I'm making. That was exactly my experience was like every single person who downloaded it for me, it was started with like a test flight, but it was like, okay, this must be this person I know. And then, and mm-hmm. then it got to where it's like, okay, I don't think this is a person I know, but I think this is a person who like I've interacted with on Twitter. And for some reason that felt like, oh, okay. It's not as impressive because they're just doing it because right. they're being nice to me. But then mm-hmm. there's a point where you're like, you get a service request uh, like an email support request from somebody and you don't recognize the name and you go look it up and you're like, I don't know who this person is. And it's like this incredibly joyful yeah. feeling like this is a legitimate thing. Like a real person is using this thing. Which is neat. The, the coolest one. I don't know if you've had this yet. Is you like see someone using your app in the wild. I, I have not had that. I've had like uh, every once in a while I'll search, you know, Twitter uh, for my app name mm-hmm. and I'll find like two people talking about it completely irrespective of me not tagging me yeah somewhat tells me that maybe they don't even know who i am and it's like this it's in the real world feeling yeah it's it's really amazing yeah it's really really cool one of the coolest experiences i've had in development and one of the highlights of, of the whole process one day i got picked to be featured at um starbucks these have this program where they have the, like the little cards or like on the on their app they would like recommend here's the app of the week or oh kind of like they do with music yeah yeah they're doing that for a while and just out of pure irony it landed on my birthday at the beginning of the promotion oh wow <laughs> um so that day i got like 137,000 downloads in a single day oh my goodness that was years ago and I still can't process it. Like my brain can't wrap around the idea of 137,000 people who I don't know. Like I for sure don't know that many people. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Holy cow. That's amazing. So uh, right off the bat, did you like, so you have like a company called illuminated bits or at least that's the right sort of, umbrella under your apps did you form that right away and kind of think okay i'm gonna try and make a business out of this or was that a more organic thing no so i actually start out my initial um um attempt i had a a partner it was just like my uh friend i had for for years uh we're like best friends and we kind of started the company together and i was doing the development bit and he was doing like the businessy bit Hmm. But after a few years, I realized, um, well, I guess I could do the businessy bit because we we're doing like a 50-50 split. And I was looking at the the workload. I'm like, well, the businessy bit is important, but I kind of want to try my hand at it and, and see see how, what it's like. So I started my own um, LLC to uh, to kind of try my hand at uh, my own apps. And that app that got the 137000 one day was my first my first um, app under that new umbrella. Oh, wow. It's really weird being like, because now I guess legitimately entrepreneur, right? That is not what I set out to be. Never did I have any desire at all to be in business or be an entrepreneur. But it turns out that is the requirement of Apple, right? So if you, you can either use your, use your own name. And at the time I was really afraid that if I use my name, people see the name is Shabazz. Um, or my full name, Ishmael Shabazz, that they're just going to not get the ad just because of my name, mm, right? Yeah. And I was like, well, all right, I, I don't want to do that. So let me go ahead and do the only other way of doing it. You can't just like do like a, a DBA. You have to actually form an LLC. But all right, so I'll form an LLC and um, kind of go with that. And that's how I ended up with the Illuminated Bits. That's funny. That That's kind of the situation I'm going through now. It's like Apple sort of forced my hand a little bit and... uh it's making me do things that I'm uncomfortable with because uh, I'm similar. Not, I don't like taking risks, but it's making me more comfortable with a lot of these concepts. Yeah. Um, which is probably a good thing. For sure. Yeah. So even at that time though, like I, I heard in a somewhat recent talk that you gave, you said you had over 25 apps in the store at one point or, or you've released 25 apps. Yeah. Over 10 years, I released 25 apps. After that first one, were you just kind of, pumping them out like were you like all right i'm gonna try and turn this into to a thing with with that partner and pump them out like how did that process come come through because at first it sounded like it was more like a kind of personal project 
Yeah, it was like a, a personal project. And then, um, but I had no funding to like start anything up. So he helped a lot with like initial like uh, setup costs and all that stuff. Hmm. He handled all that. And then we just kind of split it. And then the next thing I had was a, I had an idea for something that wasn't really a habit tracker, but a behavior tracker that I called Track It. Um, it's very similar. You spoke to Heidi about um, when did I? Yeah. It was very, very similar to, to, to that concept. Basically, you just, and you know what's interesting? I got that idea from the, um, from the, like, template project in Xcode. Oh, yeah. There's a template project in Xcode. If you start with core data, that every time you, like, click the button, it just, um, I think it just puts down a timestamp or maybe it does a location stamp. But I was like, what if every time I hit a button, it marked my time? in my location if I want to track a habit and that could like add a note to it and say how I felt at that time. Okay. And then I could show like a map to show all the pins of like where, where I was and like how I felt. So if I'm trying to break a habit, say I like bite my nails, what if I just hit the button every time I do it and I notice a trend like, huh, every time I visit my aunt, I bite my nails. Maybe my aunt is making me nervous. Maybe I can do like trends like that. So that app was basically to keep track of um, things like that or even uh, I used it when my wife was in labor, keeping track of how far apart the contractions were. Yeah. Right. It's like I like see on the chart, like, oh, okay, here's how far it happens. It's really easy to tap a single button and it marks that this thing happened at this time. Um, and that was kind of, kind of primitive. And then after that, ideas just start coming to me. Like initially, I had no app ideas. Then I had, okay, uh, how about this daily planner? And then, okay, PDF reader. Okay, behavior tracker. And then I had like 14 ideas one day, like <laughs> one morning, just like flooded with ideas. I'm like, okay, I can't even do all these. So basically, I just start doing things that I found interesting. Like, I think this would be neat. Let me try it out. Let me do it. And then when Apple um, released um, stickers, I had a few sticker ideas. Uh, and some of those did pretty well, too. And uh, I don't know if it was the stickers or not, but at some point, you... You reached out to Heidi, um, which again, if you listen to the very first episode of the show, you can hear her yeah. perspective on that. But I'm curious. I know, like, again, I'm sort of mapping my my current experience on your then experience a little bit. But mm-hmm. the idea of hiring somebody is a uh, like terrifying ex- like thought uh, right now. Just dealing with all that. For so sure. how did that even? How did that process even come about? And how did you go go about doing it? So it's interesting. I, I met Heidi through one of my apps. Um, after I did the behavior tracker, I tried a couple journaling apps, and one of them was a dream journal. You basically, um, it kind of, it was really a beautiful, beautiful app, and you basically would just um, write down your dream, and the app would kind of search for like keywords in the dream and kind of give you like from like a database um, what the dream might mean based on the words in the dream. Oh, Not really AI, just kind of like fake AI thing. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of neat. And I guess Heidi was really into dream journaling at the time and downloaded the app. And she wrote in a support email. And her support email was basically um, screenshots of like all the screens of the app just murdered with like red ink. Just like here, <laughs> this needs to move here, this needs to move there. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. I love this. Cause I really I wanted to be I wanted to be great. I didn't take it like personally at all. I'm like, everything you said is like spot on. And my Programmer eyes can't see this. Like, I would have never noticed any of this stuff, but she notices, like, every single detail. She can tell when something is off by less than a third of a pixel, and I don't know how it's possible, but I can't do it. <laughs> like, she, she can eyeball it and be like, oh, it's off. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm looking I'm like, eh, that's off by .28 pixels. Are you, are you serious? It's like, yeah, line it up. I'm like, okay, all right, here we go. So, I met her through that, and we were just friends for, for years. And then... um there are a couple times I reach out to her, like I got um, Apple, some will sometimes require artwork for a feature. Okay, yeah. Like, hey, Heidi, can you help me with this little thing here and there? Like, hey, I need some icons. Can you do this? And then when Capsicum came along, I was like, hey, I have this project. It's huge. I'd love to work with you on it. So we partnered up and we started working on uh, Capsicum together. And how how was it uh, like working with a designer? Because that, I imagine, is a very different experience. <laughs> Well, it's it's interesting. Um, I gained a lot of different skills through that process, right? Because Heidi initially was not a mobile designer. Hmm. So there was a whole process of going through like uh, the human interface guidelines 
and kind of um, having because initially there's designers are talented at a variety of things, but sometimes they'll design things that are very difficult to implement and not native. Right. So we first have to go through like a little training thing. All right. So here's the thing. I see what you want. I see what you're asking for here, but we can't do it just that way. We need to kind of go towards the, um, the human interface guidelines a bit. And then also even beyond that, sometimes the guidelines are just guidelines. It's important to know when to break the rules. And that's a whole other 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 bit so and that that's where even like a really really good design sense engineer sometimes mm-hmm. uh you can still be boxed in by you're thinking about the implementation and it can help to have somebody who who can think outside of the box because they're not necessarily totally in there and they'll bring an idea that you're like oh i probably shouldn't do that and then when you think about it you're like mm-hmm. oh no wait there's no reason i can't yeah Honestly, some of my favorite time in development is like working with Heidi because when we're both kind of like in in the flow, like thing, we make like the best stuff. It is it is so cool. Um, So I I really I really like that. There's a completely different mentality, though, in, in approaching things, which I think that diversity of thought really brings strength to 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 the product. Because even yeah. for the apps we built, like how we would use the app, she uses apps in a very different way than I would. So when we make Capsicum, like for me, time-based things are super important. I'm always looking at a clock, always know what time it is. I'm very, very focused on time. And she's totally not. She's completely the opposite. So that kind of led to us making a, a more flexible product that lets folks do if you're really not into time but you still like to take notes or keep lists sometimes you have a bucket list like here's a list of movies i want to see that's not really time based so much it's just something you want to do so instead of having just like a daily plan to do things we have like a loose leaf section where you can just kind of like um kind of go with the flow and like write down things as you, as you like which makes a lot of sense and i guess let's talk about capscom then so uh sure this at least the way that Heidi described it this was sort of the eventual realization of that like initial idea that you talked about earlier you had for the iPad yeah um obviously reborn you know through you had years of of development experience at this point but mm-hmm. how how did that kind of come to be and i guess give the pitch on what the actual app is <laughs> sure so capsicum is a daily planning app and it was inspired by i've always had a thing for like planners and journals and and um, those paper products it's kind of um a digital form of that um and i got really inspired to start working on it again when i was talking to a friend at starbucks and i saw her planner and i was like this is this is art this is beautiful what is this and then that was my introduction into bullet journaling and uh how uh how bullet journals are often like really like these really like kind of gorgeous yeah it really is like an art yeah it's like the intersection of like art and planning and i'm like this is beautiful so um that's why i uh, i grabbed heidi to, to say okay so technically we could do like a planner thing <clears throat> but in order to make it like gorgeous um i need some design help so i uh i grab howdy for that that's awesome and so uh capsicum it it seems like it was now again i i entered this world late so i i didn't necessarily uh see all the work that went kind of before that but it did seem like capsicum was like a sort of more marketed uh super product so to speak um Versus it sounds like a lot of your other ones, you were doing like making a thing, putting it out there, seeing how it did, and then sort of iterating on that. Is that right. is that an accurate way to phrase that? I, I don't... It absolutely is. So the whole time, so I actually dedicated, like got really, really, really serious about app development. So serious that I changed my license plate. I have a vanity plate that says iOS dev. And I got <laughs> that plate before I actually felt like an iOS dev, but I got it. I was like, this is my intention. If I get this plate, then I have to be. Um, At this point, were you full-time uh doing app development or or did you still have like another job no i've honestly always done it as a side gig okay it's been like pretty much my focus outside of uh the the day job like crazy focus but yeah i've always um kind of had some something else going on too okay even at the po- even at the point there's a point um i don't know if you've seen the, the documentary at the human story um there's a point where I was just about to pull the plug on making app development my full-time gig because I was making more money 
from app development than my day job. And I had already, I had talks with my wife. I'm like, hey, you can probably, you know, not work anymore if you don't want to. We waited for a little bit and then she stopped working and then we a little bit more and we planned a baby. And then right after that, right after that, the app store went through a change and income started to decline and it declined dramatically. There's more, the, probably like a 95% decrease in, in income. Oh my goodness. Yeah. 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 That's the, that is the scariest <laughs> thing about this whole, whole deal, especially if you do uh, make the, the leap and have it as your only source of income is for sure. Is it's all sort of reliant on this one company and you can have things like what's happening right now where uh, we're about to get, a big pay raise, but yeah, Apple could decide to just take that away. I mean, you know, they probably right, won't, but you, you never know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, you touched on, on that documentary. Uh, we don't necessarily need to talk a lot about it, but I am sure. <laughs> fascinated. That was my introduction to you. Uh, oh, cool. I, I actually, Heidi was, whenever I started, she somehow found my, my test flight and was one of the most unbelievably supportive people uh, and sort of, mm-hmm. I'd say she sort of brought me into this world, made me comfortable That's awesome. talking on Twitter and all that stuff. Um, and so I think she tweeted something about the documentary and I was like, oh, one of her friends was in this thing. <laughs> and that that documentary, like, again, to show how ignorant I was of this side of the Mac world, that was my introduction to like Brent Simmons. Uh, ah. Yeah, like I didn't know who he was before that, which feels crazy now, but you know, uh, <laughs> And so to me, you know, Heidi was this person that I'm friends with. And then it's like, Ish is this person that was in this documentary with all these other Titans. And it, it was honestly, I would recommend anybody who's into app development, watch it because it is really interesting. And it, it seems to cut a slice of people's feelings around a very specific time in, in the app store. Um, Mm -hmm. But a lot of it is still really relevant today in terms of like trying to figure out business models and, you know, panic, uh, trying to figure out how to take their really successful business that they had building Mac apps and right. translate that to the iOS world, which is, you know, you're still building Apple software with a lot of the same delightful goals, but the business models are so different. Uh, it absolutely fascinating documentary because in some ways the app store was a happy accident. Yeah. Yeah. And as such, um, when issues were discovered with the business model, um, Apple didn't really pivot very quickly right, to kind of make apps sustainable because app development has been like a prof- profession for a bit, right? But for a long time, the store was set up to basically devalue software for almost an entire generation. So much to the fact that now that you're developing software, you can see why developers charge for software. Many folks who've never uh, written any code don't understand why anyone would charge for software. Why isn't your app free? Facebook is free. Is your app more feature rich than Facebook? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I imagine not necessarily that documentary on its own, obviously, but like that conversation, I am a huge benefactor of all of the sort of promotion and conversation around that happening for all those years, because I feel like as I've entered this space, there is, while there's plenty of people that just want the free thing and they will probably continue to just use the free thing. Mm -hmm. There's a whole community of people um, enough that can support seemingly a lot of businesses who value, uh, um, sustainable, you know, software right. where absolutely like I, like the amount of people I will hear say, I I've tried this product. I liked this product, but I don't understand why it's free. And that makes me uncomfortable. And so they will literally mm-hmm. use a different one because of that. Right. Is, is the value of all this conversation that's happened to sort of promote why are things free? Like, look at what the business model yeah. of apps are yep. before you just dive in head first. And maybe that trade-off's worth it, but you should understand those things. Absolutely. I think that's a really valuable thing for everyone consuming apps to understand. Like, why is that price this way? What What am I getting for this? What is the company getting for this? How are they making their money? That was a, a question that I really didn't have an answer to for a while. I didn't understand why there were companies that were making tens of billions of dollars a quarter and got no money from me. I was like, <laughs> wait, where's this money coming from? It doesn't just a 
up here, what's happening? So as time goes on, we, we've gotten more, more insight into that. And um, yeah, that's one of the things I really value about the Apple community in general is that we kind of drive the, um, the value of, of software. Like that's, that's one of the, um, it's kind of like, like an unspoken tenet of, of the community that we support apps that are, that respect privacy and that, um, that provide value and are willing to like pay for those things. So. Yeah. Yeah. It was weird when I first released, uh, my app and I got support emails from people saying I wasn't charging enough. And I was like, well, that, that was not what I was expecting. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> and it was just like, I, I, you know, can you add a tip jar? You know, like I get that a lot too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's interesting. I first got that from someone who I didn't know. I was showing someone my app while I was getting my, my tires rotated and she's like, Oh, this is great. But your problem is you're not charging enough. I'm like, what? <laughs> She's like, yeah, it, it should be double. I'm like, I don't understand. So on a whim, I'm like, all right, I'm going to try it. I close my eyes, click the button, double the price. And sales stayed flat. I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you're totally yeah. right. Yeah. Not charging enough. Yeah. That's so funny. And it seems like a lot of people have that story, especially early yeah. on. Like, you're so, mm-hmm. especially if it's just you, you know, you're not like a, a business. For sure. And your identity is wrapped up in this thing and you don't ever want to be like looked at as uh, the greedy developer. You're asking way too much. Like this is embarrassing, yeah. you know, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And not even necessarily the greedy developer thing, but like, like, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just me, but there's this uh, tendency to be uh, self-deprecating a bit. And like, right. I, yeah. I don't want to put something out there and say, this is worth $7 and people go, oh my gosh, he thinks that's worth $7. Like <laughs> we know what a $7 yeah. app is and this is not that. <laughs> Honestly, that that's one of the big things when you first start developing. There's so much imposter syndrome of like, oh, wow, yeah. am I even? Do I even belong here? Like, what what am I what am I doing here? Right? It's um, it's weird. And honestly, we, we talked about the movie a little bit. That was my feeling in the beginning of the movie. Turns out, I had like a pretty big role in the movie. I did not expect that. I was hoping for a cameo. How did like, that? Man. How did that whole process come about? Like, did somebody just reach out to that. you? I went to a meetup in Orange County an iOS developers meetup that I was going to regularly. The interesting thing is I started going to that meetup to get help. Like I, mm, I had questions. Meetups like, oh, these, where you can see these, other human beings. Right. I've Remember heard those? about those. <laughs> <laughs> I had a bunch of questions. I was like, well, maybe I can get some answers. But while I was there, I ended up answering way more questions than I um, was being able to get answers to. Um, and then I slowly start giving like little presentations on things. And one night I was giving a presentation on my watch app. I made a watch app for one of my um, my productivity apps, and someone in the audience was uh, Jake Schumacher, who was making this documentary about app development. And he was like, "Hey, I liked your talk. Can I um, record you submitting your app to the store tomorrow?" And this was like the, the day before April Fools, and I was like, <laughs> "This is clearly an April Fools joke, uh, but whatever, dude." Yeah, go ahead. Record me <laughs> hitting a also, button. Also, how boring uploading an app to the store. Like, <laughs> click a button. There's going to be a progress bar for a long time, and then <laughs> hopefully, like a green check mark. Um, but yeah, let's go for it. And that's kind of how that started. And then he just started like following me around. That's crazy. That yeah, was that weird. Very, <laughs> very weird. Yeah. Um, but it was in, it ended up being cool. And I was when I saw the movie, I was shocked. I was like, whoa. I thought he was still following me because he was like, nope, that was trash. That was trash. We gotta get a good shot out of this. Um <laughs> I thought he was just like waiting for waiting for it to get good. Uh but he ended up using like a lot of the footage and then uh telling my story and that was uh that was really neat. That's awesome. Yeah. So and obviously there'll be a link to that in the show notes. Um I've watched it more than once. Because uh, <laughs> awesome. like, again, like uh, for me. Uh, the original time I watched it, it was like, I don't know, the week before I released. Um, and I had to oh, keep, wow. I, I was very, you know, that nervous energy where you're just like, yeah, all right, the kids are taking a, a 20 minute nap. I'm going to get a story through my board, you know, that kind of feeling, right? Mm-hmm. Where every moment feels precious. And uh, I had to keep giving myself breaks. Like I literally gave myself a night off to make a little video ad. Because I like doing those. And then you do an amazing job at your video ads, by oh, the way. Thank you. They, they are so incredibly compelling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but one of one of my like breaks was uh, to watch this movie that's been sitting in my my backlog for a while. And it was so it was so helpful because it 
again, like it just gave me a bunch of names of people in this world who are somewhat influential or, or at least part of it. And, uh, you know, I was like building up my Twitter uh, following <laughs> as I watched it. Um, and then I watched it again uh, a couple weeks ago. Oh, nice. And it was like, oh, man, I know who all these people are now. Like, this is so cool. <laughs> uh, so it had a very different uh, sort of flavor to it. That's really neat. But when I saw it, it was very awkward. You know how sometimes you're probably very used to this because now you have, you have a podcast. But when you listen to your voice, you're like, "What? Who is that?" That's yeah. not what I sound like. Right? <laughs> um, so the first time I saw the movie, it was actually on in in the theater, like on a big screen, and I was like, "Oh wow!" Oh man, I might I would have to walk out. I think <laughs> <laughs> that is a lot of looking at myself. I'm like, okay, after a bit of this, all right, next 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 section. I just look down. Yikes! <laughs> I've gotten used to my voice, but I am not used to my face. Uh, I don't. <laughs> yeah, there's certain times like, why am I standing that way? Yeah, um, yeah. So, so I guess so. Back to Capscom then. Uh, mm-hmm. So you did like you, you said you were getting like a lot more serious about it, sort of as a profession. And you got yourself a right a custom license plate, you know, saying iOS Dev. Um, yep. And so was that what led into like Capscom being this, uh, like. I don't know, mark in the sand, like this is a, a mark, a dent you want to put in the universe, so to speak. Um, in, in a way, it ended up being like the final exam of all of my, um, <laughs> all of my prior learning, right? So I took everything I learned before, both from development and from uh, marketing, et cetera, and kind of poured it into Capsicum. So much so, like Capsicum had the longest long game ever. In fact, part of it didn't work out this year. Part of it was... Um, I'm not sure if folks know, but this year there is a capsicum emoji as part of emoji 13. Yes. I brag that I know a person who, uh, (laughs) who submitted the original proposal to the Unicode consortium for a, uh, an emoji. (laughs) I was like, let's try it. And then in 2020, it's going to, um, coincide with our big release, Ah. our big update of capsicum. So that second part didn't happen, but the emotion, <laughs> the emoji consortium, um, came through. And that was kind of like luck, basically. You have to kind of be picked. So you be, you right. submit this gigantic proposal and like give research. Um, and how you basically did all the research on, on the name. Like how often is it? How often is this word used? Why should it be an emoji? Um, and then you become like a finalist and then you're on the list for like a while. And then they finally, um, um, uh, put it out and that, that was awesome unfortunately 2020 has been rough so um Indeed. the updates to capsule have been delayed uh but yeah that's that's still kind of trucking along but even like so the marketing push for it it was a gigantic marketing success and the way that happened was uh actually several years of planning for for, for the marketing bit wow so yeah. um, can you dig into that a little bit several years Several years of planning. So the several years of planning came from basically when you first hop on Twitter, no one knows who you are. No one knows what you're doing. And it, it seems odd. So I asked someone about marketing. I'm like, okay, so how do you market? What's the best way of marketing app? They're like, either you pay for a bunch of ads or you do it organically. But organically is going to take you years. So buy some ads. And I was like, nope, I'm doing the hard way. I'm doing it <laughs> organically. So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to build relationships, not based on just my work, but actually authentic relationships where I talk to folks, engage with folks that has nothing at all to do with serving me, but sometimes helping them, right? Um, very often helping them and just have genuine relationships, be a genuine part of the community, genuinely do things. Then um, o- over time, kind of as I work on stuff, as I build things up, you basically kind of um, you kind of show parts of it as in, in development and you engage people in, in the building of it, in the creation of it. And then when it launches, when you have something to launch, you can't just drop, for instance, if you just drop your, your app to someone who's never heard of you before, like, Hey, want to feature my app? This is what my app does. No, they really have no real interest in what, in what you're doing because you've really put no genuine investment, right? Right. It takes time to like evaluate it and play with it and all this exactly. stuff. For a capsicum, I had a beta. My beta period was probably like six months, right? And I had like tons of folks just like, hey, play with it, check it out, and, you know, genuinely, you know, give me feedback on it and what do you think? Some folks are like, yep, yeah, not for me, not my thing. Okay, well, how do we make it better and, and all this stuff? And then by the time you actually launch, um, it becomes like a, a, a bigger a bigger issue. The other thing is, um, 
getting individuals to um, kind of talk about the app if they enjoy it. I only want genuine things, right? So nothing that I do marketing wise is a hustle because authenticity is super important to me. Right. Well, and it, especially if you're trying to build, I, I hate to use these terms, but if you're trying to build mm-hmm. a brand sort of yeah. around yourself as a person, for sure, uh, hustles undo that, right? Like you can cash in on that brand, but if you just do that over and over, uh, then you degrade the value of the person. The trust that people have in you is the thing that's valuable. Absolutely. Because honestly, at the end of the day, people are way more important to me than any product ever. And it's always going to be that way. But if I have a product and um, I'm starting to get it out there and folks enjoy it, then basically day of launch, you just kind of tap a couple folks like, hey, I'm going to be launching this day. If you like it, uh, feel I'm going to make this tweet. Feel free to re- retweet it, talk about it, whatever. And if as folks get several points of information from around like Twitter and such, it starts popping up. Other folks start to be like, you know, this is the fifth time that I've seen yep. something about this thing today. What is this? Then they go look at it. And if it's good, then they will have kind of the same thing and start talking about it too. And it kind of bubbles up. And then suddenly you have kind of like a, um, there in, ends up being kind of like a cascading effect. Yeah, like right. you hate to use the word viral because that usually implies millions, but yeah. it's the same not, concept. Not it's like yeah. it's a self-replicating thing. Uh, Absolutely. If you can get hype going, then the hype begets hype, which begets hype. Which is super important. So here's that's the great side of that. The downside of that is testing in-app purchases is notoriously <laughs> challenging. It is a pain. Yeah. And w- one of my hardest moments in app development is um, the first couple days i think there was a bug in in the in-app purchase portion that worked completely fine in the sandbox but as folks tried to sign up for subscriptions to this capsicum they all failed well and you you did something a little a little clever kind of in line with what you were just saying about uh only wanting genuine you know users and, and not wanting to hustle is you kind of made your own version of the subscription system so that it wouldn't auto renew. Right. Yeah. I did my own version of um, the free trial. Oh, the free trial. That's what it is. Because to me, a free trial in which you have to pay for at the end automatically is not a free trial. That feels like a hustle to me. Yeah. So I wanted a completely free trial. You try this and then at the end of the free trial, it just you just lose some functionality. It doesn't automatically bill you. I think the automatic billing at the end doesn't feel great. And that's not the experience I want for myself. So not what I want for um, for customers either. So I uh, I made the system that only um, at the end of your trial, you're not automatically signed up for a subscription. You have to deliberately go into the app and be like, I want to subscribe in order to for the subscription to, to kick in. Which honestly confused a lot of people. Which I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't see coming. That's the that's the thing is like doing things specifically to make it better for people, uh, but it's different. Different is sometimes yeah. uh, can be can cause problems. I underestimated the, the muscle memory in in trials. So what people will often do to an app that has a um, like a trial, they'll download the app, get the app, and immediately go in and cancel the subscription. Yeah. And then because with my app, there was actually no subscription at that point. They'd be like, I can't cancel the subscription. What a ripoff. <laughs> You're trying to hustle me. I'm like, no, you oh, can't man, cancel it awful. because you don't have one. Oh, man. Likely story. <laughs> that, yeah, really st- <laughs> that, re- that must have just really stung. It did. I was like super disappointed. People were like really giving it to me. I'm like, wow, I was really trying to be helpful here. I didn't <laughs> charge you. I'm getting like chewed out left and right. But what a horrible human being I am. Oh, my gosh. And what I did was, uh, yeah, I was just trying to <laughs> trying to do the right thing. But eventually that got better. But all in all, I mean, it sounds like Capsicum was uh, was a, a pretty successful launch and it's it's been kind of a successful product for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's one of the things I'm the most proud of uh, that, that I made. And I really look forward to uh, finally releasing that update whenever whenever the time is right. So. Yeah, I know that feeling. <laughs> 2020 <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> has not been kind, especially if you're the if you're the type of person who's doing this as a as a side thing. Uh, yeah, just getting through the regular day job uh, seems to take way more out of me than uh, in the past, and so absolutely sometimes that's yeah. And the weirdest thing, most people I know thought 2020 2020 is going to be my year, and I said that too. 2020 oh, is going to be my year. 
it's happening and boy wow yeah yeah well yeah Yeah. Uh, this was my this was my uh i'm gonna break into the community i called it you know uh, like the cortex podcast they do this like yearly theme thing i was like this is my year of travel i bought luggage uh i was gonna (laughs) try and like one of my goals was to try and speak at a conference uh i really wanted to meet uh, lots of different people who i've sort of become internet friends with but i just really wanted to meet all these people in person and so Mm -hmm. as i realized what was happening uh it was really depressing (laughs) yeah just basically a hard no that for sure won't happen yeah yeah but i for me at least it was nice that i had this podcast because i could sort of transition it into uh my year of community is what i ended up calling it because yeah i can at least trick people into talking to me uh over the internet and then (laughs) get a little bit of that but yeah hopefully hopefully in the nearest future uh we'll get to go at this again i I really hope so and speaking of this and hopefully i i of course went over time like i normally do but uh Another thing that you've been really influential on me outside of just the iOS sphere is uh, mm-hmm. this year, 2020, another you know thing is uh, after the killing of George Floyd, mm-hmm. you know, the Black Lives Matter protests really became a massive thing. I mean, not that they weren't massive. I live in St. Louis, so mm-hmm. Ferguson is part of my community. And so I, it's been a part of my life, too. Right. Um, but especially this year, it really exploded. And one of the things that you started doing during that period is just tweeting out random stories of like casual racism that you've experienced. Yeah. And something about that, like deeply, deeply resonated with me in a way that like, uh, I mean, obviously I was more primed to be, uh, understanding during that moment. Cause I was reading about it constantly. Um, but mm-hmm. specifically your stories of these just different moments that you've experienced. I'm doing my walks through my neighborhood. Cause that's the only outside time I ever get. And, I live in in Missouri, but it's in a, a suburb of St. Louis, and there's three or four houses that fly Confederate flags. And like you mm. said once uh, in a tweet, you're like one of the weird things about my life uh, because you are like a really tall, uh, like black man who mm-hmm. is, as anybody listening, is one of the kindest people I've ever met. But thank you. It's an imposing like look uh, because of well, one, you're just tall but then obviously the racism comes into that and mm-hmm. and you said something about like every time i travel i have to like, google maps and look around the areas i'm going to be in and see are the people in the place i'm going going to be afraid of me right like an inverse of how me a midwestern you know white guy would maybe think about things uh where it's like does this area look like a safe area you're thinking That's of it the opposite and yeah. i'm walking through my neighborhood right after reading that and i'm like oh my gosh like <laughs> getting a little teary-eyed like ish would legitimately yeah. have to say i i think people there would be afraid of me like i would need to make sure i'm on my guard when i'm in charlie's neighborhood and it was just like yeah to to be honest i think if there's several confederate flags on on homes then i i'm i need to get out of there that's not that's not the place for me right, right. but but and it's like i knew that and when i saw those i would roll my eyes and think this is not a good thing but right uh but that was it right and yeah it, i don't know i and where, I guess where I want to go with this is like, uh, one, people should follow you <laughs> because <laughs> not that you're doing this all the time, but like you, you tweet out a lot of introspective things, not just about race, but all sorts of things, uh, that I find really valuable. But then the other thing I want to touch on is like in the iOS indie community, is there stuff like that? Is there stuff that like people like me are doing that we're not even thinking about that? is is doing similar things causing people uh pain and to be uncomfortable because we are not a very diverse industry right now especially the indie scene uh yeah and it's kind of a like all the time thing there's different levels of it too right so people don't what i realized this year um is that a lot of folks really have no idea what racism is like, they know on a certain level what it is, but there's various levels to it, right? Kind of like murder, right? There's various levels. There's like, you can accidentally kill a person. You can text on your phone while driving and kill a person. That's different than planning to kill a person. Right. That's different than planning to kill a person and having them for dinner. <clears throat> there's different <laughs> levels, right? Um, so, you don't always have to intentionally be racist to be racist. And racism does not mean that you hate black people. 
if you do hate black people, you probably are racist for, right, for right, sure. Right. right. It also isn't a thing that um, is like a, a permanent thing. Like you are a racist. It's like I, it doesn't mean that um, there's no permanent. So it's kind of like being a rude person. Right. Being racist is worse than being rude. But say if you like, well, what you just said was rude. It's not like you think, wow. So this person is forever rude and all they're capable of is rude behavior. Right. There's, there's more to people than that. So I think a part of, um, of kind of getting better is for everyone to kind of understand what racism is. There's a, a great book called How to Be Anti-Racist um, by Dr. Ibram Kendi. And it gives really just like clear definitions so that kind of folks understand um, understand what it is. And then once you understand what it is, you can work on um really being anti-racist because a lot of folks will be like i'm not racist but not racist is basically it's almost being like passive it's like i'm not paying attention to racism but (laughs) not paying attention to racism is effectively racist because being what being racist is is having a racist idea meaning thinking that one race of people is inherently better than another right or to actively or inactively you don't even have to actively do it, actually or inactively supporting a racist policy. A racist, pol- a racist policy is any policy that supports the inequity of uh, groups based on race. You could absolutely do that and have no idea. To the point, some people will be like, I've had discussions on uh, Twitter and they're like, well, I can't be racist because I have a black friend or I have a black partner or I have... <laughs> I have a, a black relative. Um, but yeah, none of that stuff prevents you from being racist because even if you were black, you could be racist. Right. And that happens, right? It's kind of like, how could... <laughs> it, I think those arguments are really interesting. It, it's, it comes across to me as, how can I be a misogynist? My mom was a woman. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good way of phrasing that, actually. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, or I'm married easily. to a woman, right? <laughs> right, yeah. How, how could I be? Like, that doesn't really keep you out of it the thing is what are you what are you doing to um to kind of combat this what are you doing to actually look and see the problems not hide from the problems because the whole idea of like well you know i don't even see color i don't even notice any of these things it's like well what you're doing then is you're saying that you are ignoring what's going on right and ignoring it doesn't make it any better in fact it is the ignoring it that feeds the active folks they're like we're gonna do this racist thing all you gotta do is turn a blind eye we good like yep we're good i won't even say anything all right i'm gonna do this thing that actually feeds it if they if if fewer people were tolerant of it then it would actually um diminish quite a bit and in an area like where i live Mm -hmm. uh where and this was stuff that wasn't taught in my schools which is somewhat disturbing or it was disturbing whenever I realized it or maybe it was and mm-hmm. I just wasn't paying attention that's also possible but like the way that our entire city infrastructure <laughs> was built was was extremely racist and everybody now basically would agree like yes it's racist to say that neighborhoods are white only or mm-hmm. uh, you know like the whole redlining thing and the redlining yeah and like a lot of conversations I've I've maybe not actively because I wasn't necessarily old enough, but very much been a part of, of like, we don't want our tax dollars going over to this area to like fix up all these streets because they, this, they would be the word, like Mm -hmm. they're just going to mess up their streets. And like in my head, I wouldn't have necessarily thought that that was racist. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, uh, it is certainly a policy to like pull money out of an area that explicitly was already pushed down. Right. Uh, to like keep it pushed down and i don't i really don't think at least speaking personally as a person who maybe thought in that way it wasn't like i'm trying to keep these people down it was more like ignoring the actual problem and saying i just want to protect my area right but the the act of that is actively pushing down Mm -hmm. uh, a specific group of people um and like there's so many things that then that you know begets uh that very much affect specific races right um absolutely and yeah. and like that's an area that I I never know what to do other than like I can donate and I can vote a certain way and try and educate myself. Um, but the one where I feel like there's 
there's something I should be doing, but I never necessarily know exactly what it is, is like within our industry, you know, what is it I can do? I mean, at the lowest level, it's like educate myself so I can make whenever somebody does make it through the system that is uh, filtering out people of color. Uh, if they do make it through that and end up in a job with me, do everything I can to make that person comfortable and successful and, you know, everything like that. But mm-hmm. but then in the indie dev scene in particular, that's where I feel this sort of like deadlock. And I'm putting you on the spot. It's not like I don't expect you to like have answers for this, but it's a thing it's that I... racism. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but it's like this thing that uh, I, especially now I'm doing a podcast. It's not like I'm this massive, you know, well-known podcast, but still I'm, I'm I have a platform to a degree now. And it's like, what is it, what is it that I can do from this angle when our industry is so incredibly undiverse, like not just development, but indie development in particular, um, like there's so few, uh, minorities of any kind really Mm -hmm. in, in this space. It's extremely white guys. Um, and I don't, I don't know exactly what. I don't know. I don't. I'm not. I'm not giving you anything to go with here. I know, but like, it's just a thing that's been bothering me. Well, here's here's good general advice. Here's good general advice that I think would work for everyone and make things better. Is basically make a difference when you can, right? Because mm. little things become big things over time. Oh man, so that gave me goosebumps because you <laughs> you might not always have the opportunity, but when the opportunity always be on the lookout for an opportunity. And then when the opportunity shows up, make that difference. Even if it seems like a small one at the time, just making a habit of doing that, um, it can make a gigantic difference, right? So in the situation, like I mentioned, um, my teacher in fourth grade. So my teacher was white and she taught in a black neighborhood. And in this moment, she, to me, was it was a gigantic thing with what she did. Even just asking me what I wanted to do was like, oh, she actually even cares, right? But when you are in ability to make a difference, <clears throat> like you mentioned, you you have starting to have a platform, you have a voice now, your voice will be bigger in, in the future. Um, when you can make a difference, make that difference, and over time things will things will work out better. Yeah. Right. And then maybe that's my problem is I'm I'm trying to think like how do you solve this big massive thing yeah and it's like well you you can't as an individual but by doing everything you can to be individually educated uh and on the lookout for small things you can do because honestly even in that you influence more people than you'll ever know so even when you do small things people around you will react to what you're doing well in the case of your teacher i don't think your Mm -hmm. teacher would would probably have thought i probably have made a genuine impact on the iOS, which is the thing that didn't exist. Right. <laughs> uh, indie developer community yeah. uh, for, for black people in the future. But like I can say from experience that seeing somebody who not just looks like you, mm-hmm. but like has a similar background as you that you can project yourself onto. Right. Do something successful. Like is such an inspirational thing in a like the raw sense of the word inspiration. Like, Oh, I can see myself following. This is a path that I can take. Right. Uh, and yeah. you are an example to so many people who don't look like me who can say, Oh, this is a path that I also could take. And like that simple thing could impact people. And those people will, can be inspirations to people. And a lot of that stems from a decision that your, your teacher made. And so, yeah, I, yeah, that's, Absolutely. that's a cool way to think about it. One of the, one of my favorite things about that story is she was not like a tech person at all. She wasn't even like a math and science person. She didn't like math, but she did that one thing just out of kindness. She's like, okay, you want to learn about this thing. I have the ability to give you the beginning of the information on this. Um, I'm going to show you as much as I can and then let you run with it. She just did what she could. I thought that was um, really, really amazing. So most of what I do community-wise is based on, in some way, really trying to pay that single act forward. She did so much for me that I could never pay it back to her, right? Um, I can't forever change her life in the way she forever changed mine. Right. Um, so what I try to do is, in small ways, do things that are helpful to folks. So um, I've done a lot of conference talks. Uh, I mention this sometimes, but... I am terrified of public speaking. I do it, though, 
um, because I think it's important. I think it's important for folks to see what's possible. And the little bit of discomfort I have during that time is really worth it for all the folks who could eventually benefit from being able to see like, hey, you know what? He got out there and did it. I can do it. Then if I get another folks up there doing it, I don't want to do it anymore. So <laughs> There you go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, uh, I'm almost out of time, but I definitely want to get to that that last question I ask everybody, which is, uh, what is a like person or people out there that have inspired you? Uh, I guess you gave that answer to some degree already, so you could cheat and just use that if you want to, uh, that you recommend other people check out. Um, someone who currently inspires me, um, who probably everyone's already checking out, but uh, Noval. Oh, yeah. Uh, Noval Swift on, on Twitter. She is absolutely amazing. And um, I have a thing I like to say, like one, one of my hobbies is doing the impossible, but like watching her is just like jaw dropping. Like keep an eye on her because she's she's phenomenal. Yeah, I could not second that more. Uh, kind of out of nowhere and out of the out of the uh, uh, mysterious depths of the, right. the Apple spaceship. Yeah. Uh, incredibly inspirational. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, Ish, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I can't wait to hopefully meet you for real in person one day. But uh, this was this was nice to at least get to talk to you for a little bit. Absolutely. I hope that we get to meet next year at Dub Dub. But we'll see it. We'll see what happens. If yeah. not another conference. Um, so before we wrap up, where can people find you and where can people find uh, your work? Sure. So I am mostly on Twitter, but my uh, handle pretty much everywhere is iShabazz, which is I-S-H-A-B as in boy, A-double-Z. And uh, yeah, my apps, Capsicum and Boomerang. You, and there's links on my Twitter profile. So that's probably the easiest way to find those two. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to discuss the show, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Chucky C or tweet the show directly at launched.fm. I'd really appreciate a rating or review in Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Breaker, or whatever your podcast of choice happens to be. And you can find show notes and more at launched.fm.com. Launched.fm.